Hello, everyone. This is Xander Brothel with the Revenue Growth Architects podcast presented by CS2. Joining me today again is Brian and Ghani. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you two doing? Great. Excited to be here. Thanks for having us back again, Xander. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent, excellent. Well, hey, thanks thanks for being here. Today's topic, we are going back into the marketing automation platform. We are going to be touching base on two more pillars when it comes to building out a new MAP. Operational programs and your center of excellence and your program templates and your marketing programs in general. We want to make sure that we're always thinking about these things in in two different ways, um, because at the end of the day, we know it. Not all of our stakeholders know it. Your marketing automation tool is not just there to send out emails and take registrations, right? So, Ghani, today I want you to start with us. Um, Walk us through, how should I be thinking about all of my operational programs? What are some of the, like, the key things that we make sure are included in every single one of our implementations? Yeah, so one of the things, um, especially at this point uh, of the implementation, uh, we should have had a really good discussion uh, with both marketing leaders, sales leaders on how lead scoring is going to be set up uh, with the new MA tool. Um, you know, you don't have to get super technical with them in terms of how it's actually going to get built. Uh, but at this point, the strategy is either are you sticking with the same lead scoring strategy and migrating that over? Or are you, um, you know, building something new and you need new fields, uh, you know, new things set up. And here there's a lot of conversation with your sales off team uh, to make sure that, again, the right fields are, are coming over from your CRM. Um, and you're setting up what is either, again, the same, the same uh, situation or scenario that you had before uh, with that lead scoring strategy or you're implementing a new one. Um, if you're implementing a new one or updating it, uh, it does get a bit trickier because uh, now there is a before and after state. Um, and this after state, you have to 100% uh, confirm that the lead scoring program is working and functioning as it was intended to um, because you know there's plenty of scenarios uh, and situations where the migration to the ma tool can be blamed if you know mqls are down or um, you know junk leads are coming over so you want you want to make sure it's as airtight as possible now if you're just recreating uh, the same uh, mql strategy or lead scoring strategy uh, it's the same thing really where you have to make sure that uh, there is no uh, dip or giant increase in what's coming over into the CRM and what's MQLing on the uh, on the CRM side, uh, and just make sure that it is even throughout. Excellent points there, Ghani. Um, Brian, any thoughts around that as we think about first of all in our operational programs the lead scoring process? Yeah, definitely. So. I mean, one thing to think about as well is, you know, like Ghani mentioned, you know, I'm working on an implementation as we speak and they had two, uh, we were implementing, they had two Marketos and we're coming together in, for one unified Marketo. And so we have actually three different lead scoring uh, campaigns that were essentially narrowing it down to one. Um, so if, you know, if you're in a case like that where you're bringing multiple lead sourcing, uh, lead scoring, camp uh, programs together, 
in coming into one, you got to really think about, like Ghani mentioned, what's the scores for all those different lead scoring programs and what you're going to work off of. Um, so, you know, what I will like to recommend is, you know, exporting all your MQLs and their scores from that scoring system before you migrate to the new one. That way you can, for that new lead scoring program, start off right at their last score they left off on if you're staying in around the you know similar threshold or grade lead grading model um, and work from there that way you know you're avoiding those conversations like grant uh, ghani mentioned um, you know blaming it <laughs> or you know anything like that as well so really thinking about you know what's what's your lead scoring model that you currently have and how it's going to work with each other um, and make making sure they're updated when they come over as well yeah. Yeah. Great, great input there. I mean, it's the thing that we always, that we always go back to is when you're launching something and we'll get into this uh, in, in the next episode. Um, but when you're launching something is, is what is my backfill? How do I make sure that, that nobody else on the team realizes that we move to a new marketing automation tool, right? You don't want to just start everything over. It needs to be able to pick up where you left off. Um, and it is a great time that you can think about changing things up, but it's also a time where you may want to just say, let's keep it the same, especially when it comes to something like lead scoring. Like if it's not broken, don't fix it, keep it the same and iterate on it post launch. Um, but there's definitely benefits to doing it either way. Ghani, after lead scoring, what else should I be thinking about? Uh, so you should also be looking at just your life cycle in general. Um, there's a lot of uh, stages and statuses that happen uh, pre-opportunity. So um, making sure that when a lead comes in, uh, it's stamped with, uh, is it known? Uh, you know, if you, again, you're, you're going to be working in tandem with the lead scoring uh, setup. Um, and life cycle is a huge part of it. So when is someone actually going to MQL? Like what's that threshold and what's, what system is actually going to be controlling that automation? Um, you know, for, for certain market automation tools, it's easier to set it up within it. Um, you might want to opt to, uh, you know, maybe build out some, uh, automation on the, on the CRM side, uh, for certain stages, like if it gets to opportunity where, at this point, the marketing automation tool doesn't really uh, have much control over the status changes and reading that uh, those values. Um, so again, these are these are conversations that you at least should have already had with your sales ops team um, and you know sales leader and marketing leadership as well, just to make sure that everyone is aligned with um, some of the overarching details. Again, the operations team is is the one that's going to really get into the the, the meat of it and understand just what is firing and what's not. Um, because, you know, just as much as uh, you from a marketing ops standpoint need to know what's going on in sales in Salesforce or, or the CRM, uh, the sales ops team should understand what's going on within the market automation system. That way it's much easier for, for things to get uh, troubleshooted um, and you can identify any issues post-migration uh, as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I kind of feel like we're talking about all of the things that have gone into what we would call an order of ops process. There's there's two other kind of key pillars of an order of ops process. And not all systems treat it the same way, but anytime that we can build in 
um, entrance and exits into these operational programs, the better. So that way we can control when they fire off, right? Um, one of those has to do with lead enrichment and data normalization. Brian, can you speak to me at all? Have you had any setups recently where you've been setting that up within a marketing automation tool as opposed to a CRM? Yeah, definitely. So we actually just recently did this um, with Ringlead and set it up in Marketo um, in the master order of ops where um, the, when as soon as they came into the system, the first thing we would do is run them through enrichment and then push them through scoring, lifecycle, GDPR, all your other uh, main core operational programs. Um, so, but that I would say would always be my first thing to do is enrich that data and then normalize it. You might come in in different ways and say, United States is, you know, United States of America, but you needed to say United States. So normalizing that data before it runs through, let's say, lead sourcing or GDPR, or any of those other core processes is very important. That way that data is all unified and ready to sync, uh, sync to Salesforce the way that you need it to. Yeah, yeah. And, and that timing is super important, right? Nothing is worse than we <laughs> talked about it on the last time, like, looking at your sync errors and seeing state values or country values not working. Uh, we went into a few options on how to handle that uh, on a previous episode. So definitely something to take a look at. But, you know, at the end of the day, you want to make sure that you have clean data that you're that you're processing through. So we've got data enrichment, data normalization, lead scoring. We have the life cycle. Ghani, what's the what's the other main uh, uh, main core concept that we need to make sure that we have as a part of our operational programs? Yeah, uh, attribution is uh, probably the one thing that uh, marketing leadership for sure is going to have their eye on. Um, you know, one of the questions that's always going to come up is where are these leads coming from, uh, and also what was just uh, what was their tipping point? Uh, what else have they interacted with? Um, again, like you these conversations should have already happened uh, or might still be happening as you're uh, going through the implementation uh, process. Uh, but you do need a lot of key decisions uh, lay, laid out uh, specifically when it comes to UTMs and how you're going to group those um, so that you can capture that that first lead source uh, value, um, any you know lead source details, or even just like the campaign that they came through. Uh, now, in other... Uh, some more sophisticated uh, attribution um, uh, processes. You know, you could have uh, the tipping point where you're showing when uh, someone became an MQL. So what was that? What, what was that lead source? Did it just come through directly or was it through a paid channel? Um, and same thing with like details and the campaign, just what was it that pushed them over the edge? Um, and just setting up a lot of those uh, fields in place. So again, you're you're pretty much just const constantly talking with your sales ops team. Like you should never um, seize conversations with them because this tool is as much theirs as it is yours. Um, so again, just keeping that conversation flowing, making sure that um, the fields are coming through and that they can see it on their end and things are populating as they should, um, should make it much easier down the line as you're building out reports uh, again, for marketing leadership, for sales leadership, honestly, maybe even for the board on just how are these channels performing and how are things uh, moving through the pipeline? 
Yep. Yep. Lead sourcing is so crucial, so important to understand what's what's going on. So making sure that you have that as a part of your setup up front is really key. Now, you may have some of this automation built out in your CRM, so it's important to, to really understand how it works for your system. But I would say that these are the majority of the programs that we build from a from a brand new person or a new person engaging or sorry, an existing person engaging again is making sure that they're going through these processes. Uh, the one piece of the operational programs that is super important that we cannot forget is your preference center, all of your GDPR, Castle, can spam, all of the regulations, right? Um, Brian, I think that you recently did a pretty big refactor of someone's preference center and GDPR automation. Any any just general guidelines and tips? I know that we've we've gone into it in detail on previous episodes as well, but anything here that you want to make sure that we make sure that we are prioritizing. Yeah, for sure. And I, I actually when I what I'm about to say I think also could apply to like lead scoring, lifecycle, and lead source like Ghani had just mentioned. And a lot of it has to do with that mapping and batching. So in this case, say you have two Marketo instances and you're coming down to one Marketo instances or you're, you know, moving from one to another, um, you could have different values um, and different, it's like, you know, some people use consent type, some people use an opt-in type, uh, you know, there's all these different types of fields and data, um, different values and pick list options. So, you know, one biggest thing I would really mention on all these operational programs is mapping it to you know your new core process and then what that batching plan looks like as well and then going back to the very beginning watching that in the sync status is that stuff making it over to let's say salesforce um so you know the biggest thing like you know for gdpr uh, right away i often start with actually looking at you know my mapping and batching plan and um you know if you have a new instance great you can set it up exactly the way you want but you know oftentimes we're we're migrating over to um, a new instance. Cool. Yeah, you you have a really good experience here recently of combining these and it always adds some added complexity. So um, thank you for sharing that. I, I'm going to keep that. I, I don't think that I've used the matching and batching um, methodology, but I love it. And, and just keeping that consistency, right? <laughs> if we get our opt-ins incorrect. Nobody cares that you move to a different marketing automation tool. So just get it right the first time, right? Exactly. <laughs> so that's a little bit around the operational programs that you may have in your marketing automation tool. The other, the other set that I want to talk about, and it's different in every platform, and I'll just say up front for our listeners, we're going to have some deeper episodes where we go in and maybe we will say like, how do you do this in Marketo? How do you do this in HubSpot? How do you do this in Pardot? So just keep in mind that this topic is, is thinking a little bit more strategically on how would you build out your center of excellence? So that way you can make sure that you're scaling those programs. Um, and I think that the core concepts work, even though the actual technical implementation is slightly different. Um, Brian, can you speak to us on like what does what does a good program template consist of and and what are some generic things that we can think through as we're building this out? Yeah, definitely. Okay, so I mean, I would say right away is that naming convention. I think that's the biggest thing is you want to make sure on all your center of excellence templates you have a really strategic 
clean pro naming convention because that's what, of course, you're able to really separate which program type it is um, as well. And then, of course, making sure that your folder structure and your, you know, your campaigns that are running those programs are, are set up cleanly. In my case, like I like to set up in Marketo as like an assets folder and a smart campaigns folder and reports folder. So I have that all cleanly listed um, and everything that's going to make sure that program runs successfully from the beginning to the end. And then I'm able to report on it as well. So, you know, for me, a, a perfect program template would be having all the, everything I would need to run it from the beginning to end um, set up with a really strict naming convention um, that's really clear and understood. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Aligning those programs to your primary activities that you're doing. Um, of course, there's going to be times where you don't have a program template for a specific type of campaign. Maybe there's something that's very custom. But what we're trying to solve here is like the 80-20 rule, right? Let's let's make 80% of our business function very smoothly and repeatable. So that way we can spend the majority of our time on the 20% where we need to have more customization and hopefully a larger lift, right? Um, what are some of the, what are some of the major programs that you set up ahead of time, knowing that we need templates in general for these? Definitely. So of course we have like an email program. Um, you also have like email blast, um, webinar, um, you can have like demo requests or like, um, you know, or example, like content requests or content syndication. It's going to be different and you have to work with your, with your actual marketing team to understand like, what are the things that we're going to build out? I've had instances where I have three templates. I've had instances where I've had 13 templates, right? And it just kind of depends on what, what is it that I'm going to have to repeat quite often? Um, and you can do this in multiple ways. Marketo makes it very easy. I think it's one of their, one of their benefits is that they have the program structure where you can do all of this. Um, you can, you can solve this with a naming convention and, and an Excel spreadsheet. And you could say, here's my template on how to create it and link out to the various like lists and things that you need to create. Um, so there's definitely ways to keep this structure in place, even if it's not inherited into the system. And I highly encourage our listeners to, to go about doing that. Um, Ghani, what can you speak to uh, regarding like landing pages and email templates and, and all of that that goes into this? Um, yeah, I think for email templates, uh, the one thing that I'm actually, uh, you know, would push for the artist is let's say, um, you're, you're probably go coming from like maybe a market automation tool where maybe you're just making like one email at a time and it's super time consuming. Uh, a lot of these tools now actually have the ability to, to let you code modular, uh, email templates. Uh, so think of it as like, uh, almost a giant, uh, email where you can kind of like remove certain sections, add certain sections, um, and that's the main template. Uh, so that makes it extremely easy uh, for anyone to just go in and change the look of an email uh, without having to actually need like any coding experience. Uh, so if you have like a, uh, again, someone that's really good at coding or at least like a third party uh, vendor that can code uh, something like this for you, uh, I would highly push for it uh, just because it's it's amazing at just like giving you different uh, looks of, of uh, for an email 
um, but also helps it so that you don't need to have like some crazy technical expertise to change how the email will, will behave. Um, for landing pages, it is, you know, it really depends on how you're going to uh, use the MA tool. Um, you know, Marketo, for example, you can have like landing pages through there. Same thing with HubSpot if you have the CMS version. Um, but if you're using, you know, another CMS tool, then uh, really it's just working with your web team to make sure that it's easy to change, to add a form or change a form uh, to a certain page layout uh, and use and leverage global forms as much as possible. Um, that way, again, you just want to make it extremely easy to create new landing pages where uh, there's minimal changes outside of just what the asset is, what the copy will be, uh, and the URL and any like metadata uh, that you know you just need to make sure that your SEO uh, is uh, the best that it can be. Um, from a functionality standpoint, it should just be like Xander was saying, just turn uh, turnkey and make it so that it's uh, repeatable and uh, efficient for the team to use. Absolutely. Um, so we we've established we have some we have a great naming convention. We have templates. We have. Uh, landing pages that we can scale out within our tool, or we've coordinated with our web team. Um, and then, and then of course we have the emails. So that brings us to the last major, major component, not the only component, but major component of the marketing activities section, which is your nurture. And we've gone into nurture deeply on the, on the podcast before, but Brian, any recommendations on setting up your nurture, especially in a new instance? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I often like to recommend setting up a welcome nurture for a lot of um, new instances. A lot of times, say you have a brand new Marketo instance and you are just just starting doing emailing and you haven't made a lot of connection with your audience yet. Um, you know, I always like to recommend a welcome nurture, especially if you're still working through the lifecycle things. There's still, you know, the the BDR team is still new. We're still working through all those little things. So um, you're just nervous that, you know, all those, you don't want to lose, you know, connection with these people. You want to make sure that they don't turn cold prospects on you. So I always like to recommend a welcome nurture, um, just to really, even if it's like say nine emails, just something, um, you know, simple and just let them get to know you. Um, and, you know, in that, also can really kind of go back to what Connie mentioned earlier about like say IP warming as well, you know, that could also, you know, essentially help, but something like that, just to really get your audience engaged and learn about you. Um, I always like to recommend just a simple welcome nurture right away. Yes. Yes. Uh, we were, we were laughing a little bit earlier today on keep it simple, just keep it simple and you'll have something in place. You can always make it more complex. You can always make it better. But I think that what ends up stopping a lot of us is here's my nine email nurtures that I need, but I don't have anything in place and it's gonna take me six months to get there. Like, like build the one, add to it, add to it, add to it. Um, we had a great episode recently where we were talking through a pretty technical nurture controller, but it's very scalable. So if this is something that you need, highly recommend taking a look at that episode in the supporting documentation because, you know, you want to have something that can grow with you, um, but you don't want to have to recreate it every single time from scratch. So it's a good way to go about doing that. 
All right, team. This was a big episode. Building a new marketing automation tool, you can't cover it in 25 minutes by any stretch of the imagination. But if there was one key takeaway, Ghani, that you wanted the audience to to, to have, what would it be? Uh, honestly, uh, feel free to lean on sales ops, your CMS, uh, your, um, you know, the agency that you're working with, if you are working with an agency, uh, any third-party vendors, because uh, there are a ton a ton of settings and things that you do need to change um, that you might not be an expert at, uh, but there is someone that might know something. Um, so feel free to ask questions. Um, always, you know, make sure it's top of mind and does get addressed because all these things, uh, when they're lined up together and they're set up correctly, uh, could lead to your market automation being, you know, a super powerful tool that actually drives your business. Nice, nice. Clear, concise. You're not by yourself. That's great. Brian, what about you? What do you want our audience to take away? Yeah, definitely. And to kind of piggyback off what Connie mentioned is, you know, like, for example, Marketo and HubSpot, they have like great uh, resources in terms of product documentation and how to how to use their system. So, you know, really, you really use those and um, set yourself up for success and because they have it available for you to use. And it's you very user friendly in a sense as well. Um, you know, one thing I would also mention is, you know, test, go ahead and start your testing, you know, set up those programs and get everything going and start testing right away. That way, when you start enablement, you've already tested, you are going to make sure it works and everything's, you know, doing what it should be doing, even with just test records. Um, that way, when you go into training that, you know, it's not, it doesn't slap you in the face. You, you, you can show it, it works perfectly. This is how it's going to work, uh, especially because enablement's coming up. What a great segue, Brian. I'm going to have you sit in this seat next. <laughs> no, <you're not. laughs> no, you speak to that super well. So this wraps up the build portion of our new marketing automation platform mini series. Um, Brian and Ghani, thanks so much for contributing all of this great knowledge. I think, you know, if, if I was taking this on for the very first time, it would be awesome to be able to take these past few podcast recordings that we've done together and really come in with a, with a clear kind of plan and idea of what needs to be covered. Um, and it's a lot. And it's a lot for new people to take in. So what we're going to be talking about next in this mini series is enablement and training and launching and all of the pieces that go into that. So do stay tuned. Uh, we will be recording that episode in just a bit, and that will be launching very, very soon. Thank you guys for joining. Thank you for listening to the podcast. This has been the Revenue Growth Architects podcast by CS2. If you like today's episode, leave us a review. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you and have a great day. 